0: what's up everyone uh, welcome back to the men's journal everyday warrior podcast i'm your host mike Sorelli. Hey, we've got uh a guest who uh, i've known about for a long time because i've listened to their uh their music uh, uh i was just telling them i listened to it in a combat zone and it's funny how you tie music to certain things you know i had a playlist when i was flying into missions uh that i'd listened to which actually isn't all that uh, uh let's say it's frowned upon uh, I should be listening to the radio, which I was, but that I'd also listen to that playlist on Extract on the helicopters when I was coming back, and that was Simple Man, uh, the rendition that uh, Shine Down did. Brent Smith, uh, frontman and vocalist, uh, is with us today. Brent, I can't thank you enough for joining us, man. Thank you, man. I'm super pumped to be here. Again, thank
1: you for your service, man. Appreciate you very, very much. I'm uh, I'm very Dude, happy to well, be here today.
0: You guys have a, a short list of accomplishments. It's actually rather unimpressive. Uh, 6.5 billion global streams, <laughs> 19 uh, number one rock hits, 15 platinum and gold singles, uh, platinum or gold certification for every album, 10 million albums sold worldwide and major media praise. Uh, and the band is currently named number one on Billboard's greatest of all time mainstream rock artist charts. Man, are you guys actually going to ever start like trying? Or is this just, is this a half-ass effort so far? You know, we've been talking about it for a couple of years now.
1: Maybe we should put some effort into our career. You know? Maybe we're we're slackers. on every level. We we should be we should be doing so much better. No, man, I think it's just we all come from the the dynamic of first of all, music to us is like medicine. It's what's kept us alive. Um, you know, the one of my favorite quotes of all time is uh from a philosopher. Named Frederick Nietzsche, and he said, "Without music, life would be a mistake." And uh, I always, for whatever reason, I've, I've identified with that since birth. I think, um, but for us, music is is more than just um, you know what you're listening to. It it's part. Of, it becomes part of your DNA. Um, and for us, Shine Down as a band, lyrically, we've been talking about mental health for the better part of two decades. Um, And I think that you have to go through it, you have to experience it. I can't necessarily tell you that when we're writing these songs, and when we're coming up with them, that we're pulling it out of thin air. There has to be something that we had either gone through, experienced places, people, certain scenarios, situations that we've been in, we pull from that. But We've always kind of talked about sometimes you have to fall into a hole to figure out how to get out of it.
0: So let me, so first off to, to Nietzsche, uh, dude, it, you said it earlier, music is, is, is the you know, medicine for the soul for everyone. It's amazing how yeah. when a song pops on, how you'll tie that to a memory in your life of a, of a specific event, uh, interaction with friends. But uh, bro, we had music blaring all the time at training events when we could right before a mission, when guys were getting ready. Uh, again, you were listening to it on the helicopter, uh, inserting into a mission. And then of course you would take it, uh, turn it off. But well, he's absolutely right. Without music. God, this would be a fork, a freaking boring world. Um, let me ask you this dude, because it seems like and maybe it was, you said you've been pouring into your lyrics for over two decades to make sure that it has a, a message, but thinking back to my twenties you know, you guys were a great band, but you're, you're naive to the world in a lot of ways. You don't know what you don't know. Do you think that process you've become, you have become more deliberate in that message through your music uh, versus the, the, the early years? Well, it's interesting. I have to kind of tie it back to
1: the beginning and the only way I know how to really dissect this or present it to you is to do it very, very honestly. Um, so I gotta be honest. If I go all the way back to the very first album for us, um, a very, very close friend of mine once told me, you will get your whole life to do your first record. And if that record is successful, you'll get about six months to do your second one. And that was exactly what happened. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed, we were lucky with the first album. Um, and, I think about, you know, he was right. And the the friend of mine that said that was actually Brad Arnold yeah, from okay. Three Doors Down. And uh, so they, they were like the first band. It's interesting because Leave a Whisper, which is the debut album, it turns 20 this year on May okay. 27th. Yeah. And uh, that in and of itself is astonishing to me. But, yeah, the music that you grow up with, man, and... Like I go back to when I was like 14, 15 years old. I was heavily influenced by like punk, but like hardcore punk. Like I'm talking about the exploited, uh, yeah. Gazi, um, you know, I, I, mean, I straight edge, not straight edge, where, 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 pistols, for a, hey, Brent,
0: um, for, for those that don't know, where were you born and raised? I was born in, uh, Knoxville, and you, and Tennessee. You were into punk you in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. I was like, yeah. I was San Jose, 100%. California. So punk was, was prevalent out there. We were trying to go to ranted concerts and no effects concerts and, and yeah. Fugazi as much as possible, man. Um, so I'm with you. Uh, you still listen to a lot of punk or as you're. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, even to the point, like I would listen to like the dwarves.
1: I was listening to, you know, I'd go all the way back to bands like television You know, just wild stuff. But the unique thing about that was during this time, I'm like 14 years old. I remember my father coming into my room and I've got this stuff blasting. And my dad is like, Brent, I have no idea what these people are so mad about. (laughs) But I like I understand you're evolving. You're a kid, you know, angst and all that. But he gave me a cassette and he said, when you get a moment, listen to this. And I was like, all right, dad, I took it. He left the room. I threw it in the corner. About two weeks went by, and I'm, like, cleaning up my room or what have you. I still see this very, very vividly. I found the tape. I grabbed the tape. I put it in a cassette player. I'm dating myself. We're young. We're young. It happens. Yeah, exactly. I put it in the cassette player, and what my dad didn't realize that he had done was that he completely opened up an entirely different world to me because what was on that cassette was a guy by the name of Otis Redding. And Otis Redding got me to Al Green, which got me to Percy Sledge, which got me to Sam Cooke. Sam Hook, Sam Cooke got me to Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye got me to Nina Simone, Ella Fitzgerald, and Billie Holiday. So he opened up this world of R&B and soul music where it was the very first time that I heard people use their voice as an actual instrument. And it just kind of changed me. I was just like, I didn't even know this existed. You know, and so that my that right there was something that my dad had no idea what he had done, but he did something very magical for me. He he made my my listening palate very vast and very broad. And so I'm always kind of looking at the peripheral. I'm not trying to be tunnel vision uh, when I'm a kid. I was listening to after 14 years old man I was listening to anything and everything I could get my hands Dude on.
0: I've got such a wide eclectic uh taste in music um and I've actually found that I'm going more back to and it wasn't even my roots it was prior to my roots like 70s you know from Leonard Skinner to Fleetwood Mac to CCR um it's so a yeah. Will Sharman who's who's you know running the backstage um when we do like Instagram videos uh, of us jumping out of airplanes, he wants to, you know, naturally the younger generation wants to put the current music. In. I'm like, no, go with like, uh, uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac, this song or, or Susie Q from CQ uh, CCR and throw it in there. And so uh, I'm trying to revive yeah. for the younger generation. Like, Hey, there was another genre of music that led to your, your genre. And it's still cool as hell. Um I
1: think that that's very prevalent now, especially I have a 15-year-old son. So Generation Z, the great thing about this new generation is that they don't care about a born-on date with music. Like, I mean, look at Kate Bush with Stranger Things. And, I mean, look at Metallica with, you know, Master of Puppets and Stranger Things. I mean, also, too, that new series that just came out on HBO, The Last of Us, they, like, rekindled Linda Ronstadt. She ended up after that episode where they were playing that Linda Ronstadt track, like her streams went up something like 4,900%, you know? And, but I noticed that more, like with the TikTok generation also too, all of these sound bites that they use, like this generation, they don't care when a song came out. They just
0: care if it's cool or not, or if they so like the, it. Uh, the, the, you mentioned the Kate Bush thing with Running Up the Hill. Um, I had forgotten about yeah. that song until I stra- saw uh, Stranger Things, and then I went and downloaded it again. And then, bro, I'll listen. Yeah, I will download a song and I will listen to it for like three days consecutively, just on uh, repeat. And of course, hey, you know what I'm getting annoyed with with is uh, the uh, you know the the headphones nowadays and your Apple phone will tell you like, hey, we suggest you turn the volume down. It's like, well, I appreciate your suggestion. Uh, I'm gonna ignore that. In fact, I wish the volume would go higher on uh, on these things. But, um, dude, I want to get into your perspective because you've been through so much, uh, but. Simple Man, what... Dude, I, I listened to your version more than the original. What What led to doing the rendition on that one?
1: I'll be honest with you. It's an extremely long and detailed story. I'm going to do my best to make it as kind of compact as I can because I know we only have so much time. Um, the reality of the Simple Man rendition came out of, I don't want to necessarily say that it was an accident, but it definitely was not planned. So the original guitar player for Shinedown is a gentleman by the name of Jason Todd. And when I met Jason over 20 years ago, um, he had married into, um, the Leonard Skinner family. So Ronnie Van Zant, who was the lead singer of Leonard Skinner, who passed away in the crash, um, his daughter, Melody, that's who Jason was married to. And so Judy Van Zant. at the time, when I found myself going to Jacksonville, Florida, from Tennessee, working all these things out, trying to kind of put a band together and what have you, I just found myself, um, you know, kind of a part of this family. And the interesting thing is, is that at a certain point in time when I was in Jacksonville, I ran out of money. And I just didn't have, I was going to have to go back home. And I'd been down in Jacksonville for off and on about a year. Judy had found out, which was Ronnie's widow (laughs) and Melody's mother. Judy had found out that I was running low on funds and what have you. And she, she, she wanted to talk to me. So I came over to her house. And she said, what's going on? And I said, "Um, I just, Judy, I got to either get a job or I got to get something. I'm just, I don't have enough money to stay down here and live at the comfort Inn at the beach. So without a word of anything, she gave me a key. She gave me a post-it note with a passcode on it. And she gave me a garage, a garage door opener. And she was like, stay in the guest house. There's no furniture There's not even a TV in there. It's just abandoned, but it's got heat and air and running water. And you've got a place to stay. And I said, I can't pay you. I don't have any money. She was like, I don't want you to pay me. I just want you to stay here. Keep working with the band. Do what you need to do. Fast forward about a year. And I did tell her at that time, I said, I don't know how I'll pay you back, Judy, but I promise you I'll pay you back. She housed me rent free for one year. And So what happened was, we were on the road, first record had come out, we came back to Jacksonville, and I sang her, Simple Man, you know, um, she owned a club with her daughter called The Free Bird Live. It doesn't exist anymore in Jacksonville, but at the time, it did. And I sang her that one night while we were on tour, we happened to be in Jacksonville, we were playing a show, sang her that one night, that was kind of my thank you and my mindset. But the reality was, we were, Leaving Jacksonville, we went to AAF, WAAF in Boston, which at the time was a massive radio station, and a DJ by the name of Mistress Carey. That week, she was having the bands that were coming in, like do their own songs that their newest single, but also like a cover if you know it, or what have you. And we tried to play some song I can't even remember what it was, but then myself and Jason were in the studio. And Brad and Barry, the original bass player, and obviously our our drummer, Barry, were in the studio as well. And so Brad was like, play Simple Man. And I'm like, no way. Like Because I just learned it the night before to play it for Judy. And I was just like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I remember the verses, the lyrics. So I did it and they recorded it. Now you have to understand something. This is in the early days of mp3s this is 2003 they recorded it when we did it in the studio the phone lines like started to explode and we left the studio went on tour had a show six weeks later our own show in like a small club came back to boston when we came back mistress carrie said i gotta show you something and she slid a a piece of paper over to me and all it had was the number 500,000. And I was like, what is what is 500,000? She was like, we put what you sang, the simple man from Leonard Skinner, we put that on our website so people could download it. It's been downloaded in six weeks over 500,000 times. So what happened then was the label caught wind of it. We went to Sanford, Florida. Me and Jason cut it, just me and an acoustic with him. We stripped it back on our debut album and it became a single and at the time of this judy owned 51 percent of the leonard skinner catalog the song became number one it exploded the trajectory for the band and i remember when i came back a year after that when it became number one i looked at her and said i told you i'd pay you back Uh, so that's the that's the story. Very very. As, that's about as a no, no, that's as But make.
0: the the so the original version you cut in Boston is not the one that's on that that's now the mainstream version. You guys went and recut it.
1: No, we went. Yeah, you can find you can go online and get the WAAF version, like on YouTube or whatever. But the thing about it is, we went immediately down. To Sanford, Florida, you know, when we saw this, obviously the label was like, you've got to go record that. And so we went, but here's the thing. We cut it in three takes. I think Jason did like one pass, two or three, he did like one, he did like two or three passes on the guitar. We didn't overthink it. And I didn't go in there and try to emulate what I did in Boston. I just sang the song the way that I would sing it, not taking anything away from Ronnie, but if you listen to Skinner's version and you listen to our version, I kind of made it my own, you know? Um, And some people appreciate that and some diehards are like, you know, you shouldn't do that or what have you, but I think that's why it connected with people was because I wasn't trying to make a carbon copy of something
0: and it wasn't a planned thing that happened. It just kind of happened. See, I see that differently. I take that as a compliment. If someone... Cites one of you know, somebody <laughs> cites something out of my book, and uses it for for their game. It doesn't bother me at all. I, I take that. I, I always like to say that plagiarism is the highest form of flattery. Uh, not that you, you guys plagiarized, um, but that's. I mean, that is that's an awesome story, man. Uh, let's talk about leadership because you're probably one of sure. the few frontman singers I've ever met that likes to talk about overcoming, you know, challenges, perseverance, tenacity. Uh, You talk a lot about your personal experiences, which I always take. And I say this on every podcast. Vulnerability is one of the most, uh, the highest forms of moral courage, in my opinion. And it does not mean you're weak. And you've done that with your addiction and all that you've learned. But more so, you guys have been talking about mental health. Let's be honest, before it actually became the hot topic that it is today. So you've been talking about it for, for roughly two decades where if someone mentioned mental health to me in in the early two thousands, I've been like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, man, talk, talk to me about, well, we're roughly the same
1: age. And I, I think we're, what would be considered generation X. Some people have said that we're the most dangerous generation because we were like, you didn't have like therapy when we were growing up necessarily. And it was kind of like you, you were told really in a lot of ways, like just figure it out. You're going to have to just figure it out. And then we were right on the cusp at the beginning of like dial up in the internet where we had enough skills for our own understanding of the world and how the world can throw different obstacles in front of you. Um, But yeah, every generation is different, you know, millennials, aren't like generation X baby boomers. Aren't like generation Z it, it all depends on how you look at it. But yeah, I mean, I, I, when I was growing up, I was very fortunate. I had a very, very loving family, a very understanding mother, a very understanding dad. Um, My grandparents were like a huge part of my work ethic. My granny, which is my mother's mother who is still alive today. I got my work ethic from her. Um, And, But that's kind of how I was raised. Wasn't to, like, push down your feelings, but that you had to use it as fuel. You couldn't let it, like, eat you alive. You had to figure out a way to overcome it. And in some cases, you wouldn't always win, but you never, ever stop trying. That was a lot of, like, how I was raised. Like, don't quit. Whatever you do, don't quit.
0: So I know with Planet Zero, the new album, One, hits on a number of fronts in terms of the lyrics, trying to, 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 to speak to, uh, to American mainstream society from, I don't want to say you guys attacked the woke culture, uh, unless you're going to, you're going to say that, but basically don't shut off dialogue. Don't shut off conversations, be receptive to, to, to what people think so that a dialogue and eventually solutions can come out of it. But, um, Well, we wrote the record
1: in the middle of a pandemic. You know, so it was, um, and a lot of things were brought to the forefront during that pandemic that weren't just about the pandemic. I'm the biggest, more than anything. A lot of what it was about was maintaining that. Do not silence your freedom of speech. Like I want to know what you think. I don't want. I, I don't want. It, I don't want somebody to be silenced because maybe they have different beliefs than I do, or they think differently than I do. I want to be able to have a dialogue and be constructive. And that was the biggest principle of it all was this ideology of trying to silence people and what they believed in and also
0: tell the truth at the end of the day, just tell the truth. Uh, You know, when uh, I heard a good quote, uh, when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. Um, there you go, man. It, you just said it. So, you know, one, I don't want to turn this into a political speech, but uh, you you do talk about empathy. What at what point? Yeah, you know. So, yeah, you said it. Gen X is not exactly setting the best example for the next generation, and the next generation being different is not a bad thing. That means we're evolving.
1: But no, not at, at all. what point
0: did we lose our civility and empathy for people with dissenting uh, opinions? Because it just seems like yeah, you're shut down right away.
1: It has a lot to do, well, ultimately, I mean, I got to put it, you know, right there at the forefront. I mean, it has a lot to do with how me and you are communicating right now. You know, look, I often will tell my son this. Again, my son is 15 years old. He has a smartphone. He's extremely technologically savvy. He knows more stuff about an iPhone than I do. But the thing that I always tell him is, I want you to know, that this device that you have is a tool and it can be used for so many different things. And a lot of what it can be used for is positive, but it can also be very, very destructive. What I don't want you to lose sight of is this. You are in control of of the device. The device doesn't need to be in control of you. And so I think for all of us, a lot of where all of a sudden it became hang on a second, everybody is starting to lose really their compassion for each other and their empathy for each other because social media is, um, it's the wild, wild west. You know what I mean? It's just, it's its crazy. Like what, you know, kids at a young age, what they actually can see. You know what I mean? At an early stuff that we never saw you know, at our age, like, I mean, it's insane. Um, But here's the thing about that. There's two sides to that. Because any question that you have, anything that you want to know about, any kind of main acknowledgement, like you can take your phone out and ask it, how do I perform, uh, how do I take someone's appendix out? You know what I mean? Like, how do I, you know, what's the, you know, mathematical problems uh things about history you got to fact check it a lot of times but the device can be used in in a lot of good ways but i think the empathy it you start to become numb like your mindset when you see things that are happening out in the world and you see it on this device in this screen and, and it just it it just numbs your perception of the world. I'll often tell people, man, put it down and go outside. Like, go like, just leave it and go outside for a minute. It, you, you would be – it's wild to watch people if they leave their phone somewhere or they don't know where they put it. They go into a panic attack.
0: You know what I mean? It's so crazy. It, so I, I just released this book, The Everyday Warrior. I was on an expedition uh, I was actually in Antarctica when it re- released, but, uh, we talk about social media and I just love how you said it. It's a two-sided coin. There's some great things about social media that I can watch what's going in with, with former brothers in arms who may be in New York when I'm in Texas and I'm watching their smile with their family. And that's, that's awesome. But that thing yeah. is all consuming. And we, so for this generation that mm-hmm. grew up with it, uh, by the time they are 70 on average, they will have spent six years of their life on social media. Six years. Somebody can become a pretty good guitar player in six years. Somebody could start a business in six years and get it uh, profitable. That's a massive amount of, uh, of time. We, so what I said is do this one thing, and, and this is hard because, you know, I'll tell you one more thing, uh, is come the weekend, turn your social media off. Go live your adventure with your buddies, your, your, your family, your spouse, and then turn it back on on Monday. And if you want to, you want to post about your adventure, do it. But if you can just train yourself, it's like Pavlov's dog to just put that phone down or turn social media off on the weekend, bro, for your mental and spiritual health, it is huge. But the funniest thing, uh, Brett, when Antarctica, we had zero wi Wi-Fi, zero cellular, yeah, I was gonna say, what is so, Antarctica? Believe it or not, like? there was some dudes from uh, actually one Tyler from uh, Starlink. So they they connected the camp for the first time ever with Wi Fi, and they also te- they also tested it oh, okay. on top of Mountain Vincent. Um, and uh, funny, you would catch guys to include myself where you still have your phones on you because you want to know the time and stuff like that. But I would see guys as we're sitting around a table eating or uh, uh, drinking coffee, they would pick it up it was habitual. They'd pick it up to, to see what was on social media. And they're like, Oh yeah. And they put it down. And even after nine days, they didn't break that. You see them picking it up. It's uh, those things are, uh, are, are addictive. Um,
1: I actually have never heard it the way that you just presented it though. That's actually a really, really good way of looking at it because the weekends, you know, historically through time, you know, that's your weekend. That's your time to kind of relax, be with your family and what have you. You know what? That's a really good method if you can do it, which is just you still have your phone, but you just don't look at the social media on Saturdays and Sundays. You just like after Friday, just don't look at it. You can pick it up on Monday. It's not like it's going anywhere.
0: We're about to uh, start a live podcast with uh, four other dudes who are, who are hilarious. Uh, John Wellborn, who played in the NFL, uh, two MMA guys, and then uh, one guy who was a former SEAL, but now like a renowned uh, human performance stock. Doctor, and we're we're going to tell people, hey, this Friday evening, sign off, go live your life. As a reminder, yeah, and, and we do it in the book. But when when you're talking to your son, I can tell you are a, a devoted father, and you're trying to pass lessons on. That that's the point. Le- leading kids is no longer no different than leading yeah. a band in in your guys. You're trying to develop the people below you. What and I also let him of teach course. me too. That's the other thing, man.
1: Like I, that's sometimes. You know the the old guard is like I'm the boss. I'm the dad. When you're 18, you can do whatever you want. But right now, what I say goes. I am not necessarily like that. I like we communicate back and forth with each other. He teaches me a great deal. I, actually.
0: I will mirror that. Uh, I'll say the relationship with my children. They're located in Virginia Beach. I'm in Texas. Went through an awful divorce. Divorce. I'm not in that position to be do as I say uh, type of guy. So I do have conversations. But mm-hmm. dude, I, they're they're EQ. For their age is they're they're ten years ahead of me, in terms of emotional intelligence. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty uh, impressed uh, with that. Pretty wild. You've been through a lot, brother, <laughs> especially the addiction, man. I and I know once you got back into fitness, you lost seventy pounds. That, that's insane. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: What
0: what what are those three to five things that you're trying to teach your son those those lessons you're you're imparting? Because again, you never know it's going to be your last day, but. What what are the primary things you're trying to reinforce with him?
1: Um, the biggest thing, probably, I, I don't have them in you know yeah. three or you know three, four, or five different things. I don't have them in any specific order. One of the main things that I focus primarily with him on is ultimately believing in yourself. Like there are going to be moments in your life where like you're not going to have people around you. And it's going to have to come from you. Um, And that's going to be through experience and trial and error. And that's okay. Like, you're not going to win everything that you go after every time you go after it. But probably the biggest focus with him is that I don't want him to be afraid of his failure. Like, I tell him all the time, do not be afraid to fail, kid, kid. Because here's the thing, you got to have those moments to fail so that you know what to do next time. Or do you know how to grow and how to get to the next level? Because your, your life and your legacy is not going to be built by your failure. Your life and your legacy is going to be built by the fact that you refuse to give up. And another element to that is I try to teach him how to lead from the front and try to be the hardest worker in the room and surround himself with like-minded people. Um, You know, as he gets older, he wants to know a little bit more about how I got where I am and where I'm going and more about the band. Because I think that there's something that I should touch on here for people that may not know the ins and outs, you know, of my relationship with my son. And there's a reason for that, because it's a personal relationship between me and my son. Um, But the thing is, is from the moment he was born... I've never made it about me. So when I'm with him, cause I'm on the road 280 days out of the year. And it's, it's been like that since he was born and I've had him on the road with me when he was younger and he's been to different countries with me and things of that nature. But as he started to develop and he got like, by the time he was like 10 years old, you know, moving into, you know, 12, 13, you know, becoming a teenager, a young man, um, It's just been very, very important that when I'm in front of him, like when I'm physically in front of him, I'm very lucky that we have this technology like FaceTime, I can see him because a lot of times he doesn't want to talk to me on the phone. He doesn't want to text me. He wants to FaceTime me, which I have absolutely no problem with. Um, But the thing is, is that I just, I make it about him because he's in the development stages in his life. And so he doesn't really ask a lot about the band Um, His friends and even some of his friends' parents, they kind of know who his dad is, but I also don't offer myself up either. Um, I'm there to do whatever I need to do to make sure that he is getting everything that he needs from a physical standpoint and from a mental standpoint as his father. Um, But a lot of it all ties into that. Like I said, I'm trying to teach him to believe in himself, to have confidence in himself, to not beat himself up, you know as long as he's trying at everything he's going after, you're not gonna win everything. don't let it get in your head. he's a he's a really, really he's it's it's pretty wild to watch. He's the only freshman in his high school that's on the freshman and the junior varsity okay. basketball team. so he you know i'm five eight. He's 15. I'm 45. He's already six foot one, you know. Um, and uh, I hope he doesn't stop growing because uh, he very much is looking at a future. And, you know, he's up every morning at 4 a.m. He'll throw 300, you know, he'll throw 300 shots up before he goes to the bus stop. You know, I mean, he basketball, he's looking, you know, at the NBA. It's something. I mean, the dude sleeps with a basketball. You know, so I mean I want him to stay focused on that. Uh, but I just try to teach him, you know, how to be mentally tough, but at the same time, he's not afraid to cry. And that was something that I told him at a young age, too. I said, Man, don't be afraid. Like, if you need to cry, cry it out. If anything, let it go. Don't keep that don't keep that inside man like you've got to release that because it will eat you from the inside out God, who,
0: who said it was a basketball coach that i actually said it i'm trying to remember his name he passed away from cancer think laugh and cry every single day and i probably it,
1: i know exactly coach who v. you're talking coach about v, i can't right? think of his
0: name yeah um, yeah i think so it, i think this, so. this whole you know this whole thing with crying there is nothing like a good cry there is nothing like a good cry and anyway, yeah, I've, I, I've been a part of it where there's a circle of seals hugging one another and they're just bawling and that's okay, man. That's okay. You just need that every once in a while. Get it out. It's like,
1: dude, it's, it's like, it's like shedding
0: your skin and, and,
1: and coming up new, you know what I mean? Like for the longest time, there was this, like, keep it in. Don't cry. Don't, you know, be a man. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, it, that corrodes you. Like the whole point of crying and getting it out when it's emotional, whether it's sad or happy, you know what I mean? Like that's the beautiful, what the body is a like the way we're designed. It's a, I mean, I learned a lot about this during the pandemic. I learned a lot about the human body. I did a lot of research, the design of our body. It's a masterpiece. The way that it's put together, it's by design crying is so you can release that energy and and be refreshed from it you know what i mean like if you just keep it in it just corrodes your inside you gotta let it go man
0: you you know it, it was a i wouldn't say a crying fit but i remember the specific moment i was with my kids in a disney film uh was it the croods a specific scene where they're asleep yeah they, i mean they god what were they they were like five and and eight at the time um and so they're passed out overdosed on uh popcorn and uh i'm in the theater and right. i just start bawling that was also the realization i'm like okay something's off uh i'm 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 not right um and that's when i started talking to 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 someone that was the best choice i've ever uh ever made it was not a quick process but i know you've been down that do you ever use your music um cuz i know you talk a lot about or you know you guys within the lyrics talk about the ups and downs of life Do you ever use your music with your son? Like, hey, go listen to to this song and and look at the lyrics, man. Or do you not try to mix those two? Uh, I don't necessarily do
1: that specifically with my son. I do know just because me and his mother were never married, but Mm -hmm. we have a good relationship with each other. Um, And oddly enough, uh, his mother's mother his Nana, his grandmother on his, on his mom's side. She has told me before that when she's in the car with him or what have you, um, if they're driving around and they're listening to the radio and I come on, um, he will, a lot of times he'll, he'll turn it up and they'll like, listen to it. Like, it'll be background noise. And then if he hears my voice, he'll turn it up. But I've never really told him to, like, you know, go specifically and listen to our music. I kind of leave that up to him in a lot of ways. He has a different kind of musical taste anyway. But, I mean, the good thing is, is that will always be there for him in the future, you know, as he gets older and he, you know, starts to mature. And, you know, I think that, once again, with him, it's, I want you to be a kid, You can yes. be in You got plenty of time to be an adult, man. You know what I mean? I, I want you to be a kid right there's now. A,
0: there's a great line from uh, the new version of uh, the movie Dune. Uh, I know they're coming out with a second part where the father looks at the son and says, Hey, whether you choose to be the, uh, the ruler of our family or not, uh, is, is your choice. All I ever needed you to be was my son. That's all I ever needed you to be. And, uh, totally stole that line and used it with my son, but you know, Hey, plagiarism is the highest form of flattery. And that's the truth. Uh, you know I had a great guest on his name is dr johnny kim i I happened to go through seal training with him. We ended up at the same team. This guy came from a highly abusive uh situation where his father was abusive. Uh, his father ended up getting uh killed by the police department uh, when he was eighteen um and we never knew that, but oh my God, you know he talked about he and how he and his dad had a very different definition of success, and he talked about with your children. Right all I want them to know is this, a lot of the things that you're trying to reinforce, you've got to define what success looks like for yourself, but it's gotta be, it's gotta involve not being afraid to fail, believing in yourself, leading from the front, putting the work in. And if you do that, then yeah. if it's being a pianist, a, cause this guy's now an astronaut, Dr. Johnny Kim, um, a doctor, uh, a, a professional sports player, then that's your decision to make. I, I found that extremely, extremely powerful, man.
1: So yeah man.
0: Let's let's talk about the uh, the Revolution's live tour coming up. Um and, and Planet yep. 0 man. We'll, we'll close out with this. COVID was uh nobody got through COVID clean. It impacted – I don't care if you want to be the tough guy or not. Nobody nobody every it made everyone reflect and reassess. What's what's your intent yeah. with uh Planet 0? If you want to drive something home, if you want the people to listen to it and, and take things away and with this this tour um what does this all mean to you guys cuz I know this this has been a long process for you guys for this album. Yeah, I mean the biggest element of it was once
1: again these way you know the way that we felt during this time and you got to remember something. I remember when I arrived um to Charleston with Eric, our bass player who's also the producer engineer and the mixer. Of Planet Zero. He's also the producer, engineer, and the mixer of the last album, Attention, Attention. But when I arrived um, at the height of the pandemic, I left California uh, in June of 2020. As as it moved? Got to Charlotte. Up and moved? Well, see, I was so I was in California at the beginning of 2020, January, working on a side project with me and the guitar player, Zach Myers, called Smith and Myers. We were in the middle of writing this double album and then the pandemic happened. And so, you know, you had to I had to shudder where I was because of the whole thing was, uh, hey, we just need 15 days to flatten the curve. 15 days turn into 15 months. So by the time I was in. You know, it was June 1st, and I said, you know, t- to management and everybody, and we had we had hooked up with an amazing organization called Direct Relief, yep. raised a half a million dollars with them uh, for COVID-19 response, but then through the label and management, I was just like, I've got to get out of here, guys. Like, I can't just stay here. I've got to get to my guys. I gotta, like, I've got to get out of here, and that was wild, not to go off topic here, but I arrived in Terminal 5- at LAX, which is the international terminal where I went out. Me and the attendant were the only people in the, we were the only, I have video of it. Like, I remember walking in and like, this is a city in this, in, in this airport. In Terminal Five in LAX, that is a city. And me and the and the attendant that gave me my ticket were the only people in there. <laughs> And uh, so I arrive in in, in Charleston and, uh, you know, me and Eric started to work on material and we had this idea of like, let's try to think three years ahead. Let's try to have like a crystal ball method. And we tried that for like a day and it did not work because we're trying to write like this isn't going on and this isn't happening and it just is not. There was just no way around it. And I remember Eric looked at me with everything that was going on on the television, everything that was going on in the world. There was a lot going on, man. And I remember Eric looking at me and he said, it feels like we are on planet zero. And and that's where it started. But I think it's important to understand what we learned from that also is everyone talks about the internet being undefeated. It's not true. Yeah. Mother Nature is undefeated. It always will And be. that's another... Yeah, and that's an element about what the album represents. Like, you only have a short amount of time on this planet. You know what I mean? Like, you only have a finite amount of time, and you're not promised tomorrow. Stop with this idea that everything has to go to 11 all the time. Stop with just trying to be that that dynamic of not wanting to miss out, that you know you have a, a device that you're looking at where you don't know if it's telling you the truth, if it's made up. Is it real? Is it false? Is it, uh, is it benefiting you? Is it hurting you? Um, you've got to ask questions, of course, but the whole record is about our society and that we have to take care of one another and we all have to be accountable for each other as well. We all are related to each other in some way. We all came from from the same principle. We all came from the same part of the universe. I will dispute it with anybody that tells me otherwise. Like, well, I didn't come from you and I'm not related to this and that's not related to me. No, man, it's all connected. All of it is. And we want people to be able to ask questions. We want people to be able Uh, to learn from one another, but you also have to tackle really, really tough subjects sometimes. And you need to allow the other person to speak. Like even if you disagree with them, have a conversation, try to make it constructive. It doesn't have to escalate into being violent or disruptive. Everybody's different, but the only way forward in our personal opinion as a band and as four guys that are very much family and very much brothers. Um, The only way forward truly is together. We all inhabit this planet, you know, with all the other organisms and the creatures, you know, around us as well. There's a respect that has to be involved in that as well. Um, And ultimately we don't want people to lose their humanity or their empathy for each other, because we do believe that human beings are inherently good. That being said, you also have to protect yourself and the people around you. But for me, with everything I see in the world today, I see a lot of people kind of on their knees because they don't know how to handle their feelings and what they're feeling inside. If you see somebody out there and you see that they're on their knees or they're, they're on one knee even, instead of walking past them, maybe consider helping them and pick them up. You know, that's a lot of what it's, it's built around, man, is 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 respecting each other and trying to be there for one another. Yeah,
0: this this is a a, a topic for a much longer conversation. The the divisiveness is. Uh, you know, bro, I, I hate to be the guy that t- ties everything back to, to the military, but you know what? The one thing I did respect about it is it, it didn't matter if you're black, white, straight or gay, uh, Democrat or Republican like nobody cared. none of that should matter. It's what, you know, we, we were under one flag. You saw people for the merit of their character. Um, that's what I respected. And, uh, yeah, we, we've got a real leadership problem within this, uh, this nation. And you talk about accountability, dude, you know what? Holding somebody accountable. Well, first it starts with you. You got to be able to hold yourself accountable uh, before you can hold others accountable. And I know you agree with the priest and the choir, but, accountability is a, uh, is a hard conversation, how I reframe it when I, cause I do leadership development for, for companies is I say, guys, go back to parenting again. One of the highest forms of compassion or love is accountability. If yeah. you see your son or daughter do something wrong, right. what do you do? You don't hesitate to pull them over and hopefully in a professional and tactful way without yelling, you say, Hey, listen, what you just did there. Why'd you make that decision? Do you feel it was the right decision? No, you know, it wasn't the right decision. Now, how are you going to change that moving mm-hmm. forward? I mean, ultimately as a parent, what do you, what do you want? You want your kids to be good, competent human beings who contribute to society, impact others around them. And ultimately they have to be self uh, sustainable because they're, you, you know, you can't keep them in the coop yeah. uh forever. Um, how excited are you guys about this tour and and getting that message uh, out there? I got to imagine going on tour, you're just smoked by the end of it,
1: man. Well, no, I mean, it just, we work really, really hard, but the good thing is, is, you know, 20 years of doing it and doing it professionally, you have to keep your eyes and ears open at all times. Um, because there is a way to do it productively. Um, you know, we have a staff when we're doing these bigger shows, Our staff has grown to about, when you count the band and everybody involved with the buses and the trucks and everything all together, we have a staff of roughly 77 people. Um, And then we've got two other bands. Uh, A lot of times when we're doing these tours and what have you, and then they have a staff. So any given day, you know, we're responsible for roughly 180 people per show. It's a big, you know, you're building a city, man. And, you know, and creating this environment for people Um, But for us, it's a huge part of what we do. The live aspect of our shows are what we're known for because we're always trying to outdo what we've already done and make it exciting for people. But our main mission with the audience is, you know, if they walked into the venue, the fairgrounds, the festival, wherever we're playing, the goal for us is if you walked in, we want to try and have you float out, you know? So it's always just about lifting people up and, and making you know it i still to this day man like I, you know my granny once told me she said find something that you love more than anything in the world and you'll never work a day in your life um i will tell you it's a lot of work but it is a labor of love and i still am very humbled and grateful and i take it um i don't ever take it for granted man that i truly get to do what i love for a living and honestly Mike, I, I'll tell you this too. feel very, very fortunate that from the moment I entered the earth, I always knew what I wanted to do. Like I'm doing today, ever since I can remember, um, I wanted to be a singer and a songwriter and a performer. Uh, and that's what I'm able to do. So,
0: And for that reason, I'm very lucky. you're blessed because there's a lot of people out there, especially with COVID that made them reassess. And quite frankly, they don't know where their next passion is. Um, and... You're, you know, sometimes that's fine, dude. You're, you're going to figure it out. Just be iterative. Um, so the tour starts April 3rd in Saginaw, Michigan. Yep. Uh, ends September yep. 7th, 10th uh, in Virginia at the International Raceway. Um, let me ask you this, dude, because one, you look good. Uh, I mean that. You, you, oh, thanks. You, you stay on top of your, your fitness and diet. When you're on the road, I'm assuming, I'm assuming you guys are on a tour bus, correct? Yeah. Mm, All right. Multiple buses. Do you, do you do like a body scan before you leave and when you come back do you do you, uh no nah like you you
1: always know like here's my this is how I know I'm in my fighting weight my pants 32 30 as long as I got a couple of thumbs in between the 32 I'm good to go. so, I know I look But again good. 20
0: years on the road do you have a system down do you have a trainer that's saying okay hey man you're probably not going to get to a gym every day. Do you guys bring some travel stuff or do you, do you make it a point?
1: Well, that's the thing we create a, well, we, because we've been doing it for so long, we are able to, so we, this, this particular tour, most tours were running between six to 12 buses. So there is always one bus. Once it is dumped for the day, it becomes what we call the yard. And so that truck becomes the yard. So there's a heavy bag in there. There's an elliptical. There's an assault bike. There's a treadmill in there. There's multiple weights in there. There's kettlebells in there. There's resistance bands, mats on the floor. We all try to get in there all together a lot of times, and we'll do Amaranth or we'll do Circuit or we'll do Tabata, and we just do it with each other more than anything. And then as far as the diet is concerned out there, most of the time we're really fortunate to carry uh, Mm -hmm. catering. But you just advance it. You know, you, you try to give everybody a little bit of something. You always make sure there's two proteins. There's always a pasta. There's always a vegan and a vegetarian option. There's always a salad bar. So it's kind of one of those things where you know how to eat, right? You know what I mean? So, you know, we we keep cookies and cakes and stuff out there for people that want them and and, and what have you. But there's always juicers and, and what... But just doing this over time, you learn that... Um, We kind of, speaking of the military, we kind of run it like a military out there, just with how active we are. And, you know, we're essentially working out two times a day to be able to do what we do on stage. Because, you know, especially in the summertime, what we'll end up doing is when you're in those hotter states and you're starting to cook around 90, 100 degrees, you start talking about touring amphitheaters or festivals right in the middle of June to basically the end of August, uh, early September, we will hot box ourselves in those trucks every day. So it's like yeah. double the heat in there. We're usually working out by no later than four o'clock. The workouts are usually an hour to an hour and a half. And then, you know, we're drenched and then I need to eat by six o'clock because I'm usually on stage by nine. I have to have three hours yeah. before I go on stage. And, uh, if we didn't do that, if we didn't work out like that, if we weren't, you know, have that kind of mobility and what have you, we wouldn't be able to do, I mean, quite frankly, at our age, what we do on stage, I've always looked at ages
0: like a number, but you have to
1: be conditioned
0: to do it. Man. Yeah, yeah, with, with regards to the workouts, are you guys coming up with those or do you have somebody that sort of is pushing you? We all, yeah. Like each yeah. guy will get, and our, um,
1: Our videographer will get in there with us too, Sanjay. So sometimes, you know, we'll have other uh, crew members. They'll come in if they, they they all, everybody knows like four o'clock every day we're in there. So like, if you want to come in and do it with us, you can, but like we'll rotate it. So Eric may come up with it one day. Barry might come up with it the next day. Zach may come up with it the next day. They may all look at me, you know, with a week of shows and be like, we don't want to think Brent just come up with something every day. And then I'll put it together. But yeah, it's, it's very much a,
0: we're all, we're well, dude. All if completed. you're up for it, uh, I'm looking at the locations. If Men's Journal received an invite to come uh, film one of your workouts, we would love to do it. Yeah, uh, and may stick around for the show if uh, those tickets extended. Bring it on, well, man! I've got a few last questions, and we close it out in a traditional way. Do you guys hate Texas? What What the hell, man? <laughs> no, we just, we played Texas last year. We, we did
1: it. We did, we did Irving, Texas last year. We did uh, Houston, we did Dallas. And we just don't have any Texas on this run at the moment. We we've got another part of the year. <laughs> we, this, is, this is not the only tour we're doing is April 3rd through, you know, May, May yeah. 9th, I think is what it is. But uh, no, we okay. love Texas. All
0: right. We're going to hold you to that. Uh, I, Bozeman, Montana. Uh, we will be there if we, we have an invite from you, sir. Uh, you
1: 1,000% have an invite, and you got carte blanche, man. We got the red carpet laid out. Whatever whatever show you want to come to, man, at any Thank point you. in time, bring it Done.
0: on. Beware, be wary of the invites you extend. Uh, so, you know, Brent, we're all concerned about our our, our legacy, and, and, and your legacy is cemented. But what does that mean to you? Is when, when your time comes and you look back on your life, what – would you hope people think that's what he stood for and that's the message he sent and this is what I learned from him? it's um, such an
1: interesting question. Um, you know, a, I got asked a question one time that was, um, you've had your moment and you've gone to the great beyond And there you stand in front of God. What would you like him to say to you? And I said, I would like him to say, go back. You're not done. (laughs) (laughs) So, I, you know, my demise, if you will, and some people look at that word as like, well, that's like, you know, we're all going to pass away. It's part of life. Um, I think if anything... A legacy is not only what you contributed while you were alive, but it's the impact that you left on people. And once again, the biggest impact that I would want—that came from me to the people around me and to the people out, you know, on this planet and beyond—is uh, no matter what, believe in yourself. Like, don't. At the end of the day, you come into this world alone, in a lot of ways, and you're going to leave the same way. But you're all we're all made up of energy. You know, this is a shell more than anything. It's funny, because sometimes people will talk about when someone passes away, and they're at the funeral, and they'll talk about, I can't believe they're gone. Isn't it so sad that they're gone. And I tend to disagree with that, because I look at it, I look at it like this, they're not gone. They're everywhere. You know, so you don't I don't know if you, have to, I don't know if you necessarily ever really die. Don't die, you know? Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's all in your perception, but more than anything, I hope that people will say that I was a vessel for encouragement and believing in yourself and ultimately leading from the front and do the best to be the hardest worker in the room and surround yourself with like-minded man, people.
0: power, powerful, powerful words. Um, and no, if the dead, if the living, left an impact, then you—you you definitely uh, the dead don't die. Um, well, Brett, yeah, we're, we're going to spread the message about this tour. Uh, I'll contact your team about Bozeman. Thank you, because uh, I've got a crew of uh, yeah uh, of some special operations guys that would love to come and get a workout with you uh, on that uh, on that day if it's uh, available. Dude, you. You have an open invitation at
1: any time, man, for, for you and whoever you want to bring, man, I'm telling you right now, like you got carte blanche, red carpet all the way. It means
0: the, uh, the world. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, and thank you for the music that was on my iPod again, uh, in those combat zones, man, you talk about impact you have, uh, even if it gave me just a brief minute of, uh, relaxation before, uh, turning it back on, man. So for everyone, thanks for joining in, joining us to the men's journal, everyday warrior podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli until next time.